When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our college football on Fox Week 13 Twitter spaces brought to you by Wendy's. As always, I'm joined by Fox Sports draft, uh, NFL draft, college football and betting analyst Jeff Schwartz. Jeff, how you doing, buddy? I am fantastic, man. It's, it's crazy. It's already Thanksgiving. Like, it's wild. I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving in a couple of days and lots of football. I love it. Yeah, man. I'm excited for what's on tap here. I also need to say that it has been some time since you and I were graced at our doorsteps by Wendy's. I had the double cheeseburger yes. and the fries. Very filling, especially for a man that is five foot five, about 135 pounds. So that, that's heavy on the stomach, but I feel good. Feels like it's going to stick to me right ahead of Thanksgiving. How was your Wendy's, Jeff? I mean, as someone who's the same height and weight as you, I could definitely feel that uh, the energy with energy with the burger. I got I got I got nuggets too. I got the whole package. I got nuggets, a double cheeseburger, and fries. I mean, what's what's better in life than that? So thank you, Wendy's. It was delicious as usual, and I kind of give my kids a little bit as well, and they always enjoy it every Tuesday. Right on, brother. Well, we have a delicious plate of college football goodies in our final regular season weekend, our rivalry weekend, and. For you and I, we're going to talk about Ohio State, Michigan. We're talking about Notre Dame, USC. We're going to talk about Oregon at Oregon State. But I want to get started by the college football playoff rankings were released just a couple of hours ago. We did a segment over on the number one college football show about this. But, Jeff, I'm going to read you Boo Corrigan's rationale for why the college football playoff selection committee chose to rank LSU at number five ahead of one loss USC one lost Clemson, and of course, uh, Tennessee, among others. So it's a long quote, but I'm going to give him his full breath here and get your reaction to it. So the quote goes like this. Ranking USC behind LSU, that was a dominant conversation for the last couple of days, and it wasn't a one-time conversation. It was over and over and over again to make sure that we were looking at this the right way. There's reasons for USC to be at five. There's reasons for LSU to be at five. As we looked at it, the wins over Alabama and Mississippi carry the day more so than the wins over UCLA and Oregon State. As you alluded, talking about what Reese Davis had asked him on their show, the good that they had on Saturday was 48-45, USC beating UCLA for the city championship. I think some of the members of the committee, as we looked at it, wanted to see a little bit more from their defense, as well as the overall strength of schedule from LSU really drove the day. Jeff, what are your initial reactions to that? I mean, sounds like a little bias at the Pac-12 conference, doesn't it? I mean, like, I, it's what I go with first. Look, 
here's a, a, a couple of things are true. One is that this is all like performative art, right? Because in the end, if LSU beats Georgia, they're in the playoff. If USC wins out, they're in the playoff. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it all will play itself out in the end, especially obviously if Georgia beat, does beat LSU and USC wins, they're in, okay? So USC, they beat UCLA. The, they had Notre Dame this weekend. We'll talk about that game, and they play presumably Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. So three straight weekends of top 10 teams. It's going to be top 15 teams, and they're in, okay? Um, but I do think this does acknowledge the problem I have with USC, which is we've never seen a team like this, RJ. We, we, we have not seen a team like this on the precipice of the playoffs, and I think the committee members are having trouble figuring them out. I, I do Pac-12 radio for a living. I just got off the radio for three hours talking about USC and these playoff rankings. USC's number two in the country in points per drive. They're unbelievable in offense. Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman Trophy. He'll be Lincoln Riley's third Heisman quarterback in like six years. He is that good, guys. He's incredible. The defense is 101st in the country in points per drive. Special teams is 126th in efficiency. Like they, they are just the weirdest team I've ever seen that's 10-1 right now. I think the committee is also dealing with – they look at the numbers too, and they're like, ooh, like I, now again, USC wins out. It's not a concern, but that's why I think the committee's having trouble putting them ahead of LSU. They absolutely should be ahead of LSU. They have one loss. Okay. They should be ahead of LSU. But I think that that's what the committee's struggling with is that the the defensive numbers and the special teams and the forcing all the turnovers, and you force four turnovers and still allow 45 points to UCLA. Like, it just, that makes sense. I think that's what the committee is struggling with. I think you raise a good point about not knowing exactly what to do at USC, but I, I'm going to push back and say that we've seen this before, actually. 2018 Oklahoma comes to mind. Oklahoma was outstanding offensively and had a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback in Kyler Murray. They were also abominable on defense, particularly in pass defense. Now, this is, this is the reason that Alex Grinch got a job in 2019, and frankly, the reason that he was taken with Lincoln Riley to USC. But I also think that this speaks to an overarching point that really is above all of this, which is that the committee set rules that it does not abide by. Correct. Which is yes. to say that they are looking toward what happens in week 13 or even in the conference championship and making their rankings based on what they think might happen when they themselves had said, we are looking at the past week and what is it on the table today? So another reason why I have a problem with them dropping Tennessee to number 10 on the basis of who they lost to, frankly, not who they beat. They forgot okay, that but, they beat but, five ranked opponents, and they forgot that they absolutely beat the hell out of LSU, 40-13, to 13, yeah. and beat Alabama, a team that they still very much hold in sure. high esteem. What were you saying? But the committee in the past, though, has tended to look at your worst loss or your best loss more than like your best win right so like they've always kind of said like well if your loss is not that bad you're higher than the team with a bad loss right they so that the tennessee thing makes a little bit of sense but the, to your point about like lsu they have two losses one to florida state that's gotten better throughout the season obviously blown out by tennessee and usc has one loss by one point to a team you i think you had ranked 13th so like by your old logic, which is we're going to look at your losses almost more than your wins, you broke that in putting LSU ahead by stating the games they've won rather than kind of what USC has done. And I think it's a fundamental just 
problem with how we look at college football, frankly. It's that we do care more about who you lost to and by how much than we do about who you beat and by how much. Uh, this is going to be a developing conversation, especially as we head into the games beginning this weekend. The one at the top of the agenda for us, for me, number three, Michigan. At number two, Ohio State. That is the big noon game, noon Eastern on Fox. Off the top, uh, Jeff, do you give Michigan a chance to win this game if Blake Corum is not healthy? Oh, God, that one's really tough. And look, I was actually encouraged. Um, you know, they showed him doing some community service, right? I think he was given uh, turkeys out for Thanksgiving the day after the game, or maybe it was it was yesterday. And he looked fine. Like, he was moving fine. I mean, that, that's a decent sign, I guess, right? Like that, you know, you're, you're normally injured guys don't go to those events. Like you just say, sorry, he's hurt. He can't go. Right. And so for him to go to the event, I think it was his event anyways. Great job by him, obviously setting that up, but that was encouraging. So I hope he does get to play in this game. You want, you want to see both teams as full strength as possible. I'll tell you what's important about Michigan right now into this game. Throughout last week, Ohio State didn't play terribly well against Maryland either. They're both kind of getting ready for this game is they believe they can win because of what happened last season. And that goes a long way, I think, of preparing to play Ohio State, is they have the formula, right? Bludgeon them at the line of scrimmage, right? Like, you're not going to match often the skill talent with your skill talent. But if you win the trenches and you dominate by ball control, hitting their quarterback and their defense line is not as good this season, that is the path to winning this game, same as they did last year. So they believe they can do it, which is very important. And obviously the question is, can they execute – can they rush the passer, which they don't have as well of a pass rush this year as last year? And then offensively, last year they were able to generate explosive plays against Ohio State. Can they do the same this season knowing Ohio State's defense is better this year? So those are my concerns about Michigan, but I absolutely believe they can win this game. It, it might take a little bit more than, than last year's effort because I, I think, again, offensively, they're just not as good offensively this year as they were last year. I think it's a very good point you make about Michigan having in the back of their head that we out this team last year and we expect to do it again this year. Now, a couple of things that I think are important. One is that game was in Ann Arbor and it was a yeah, game where it was almost impossible to throw the football uh, with those conditions. It was a rock flying around out there. And <laughs> number two, Josh Gaddis on his way out, I might add, said that Ohio State was a finesse team, uh, not a tough team. And Ohio State has been holding on to that for the better part of a year after having never lost this game in the Ryan Day era and haven't lost this game since 2011. So they're going to show up absolutely going, okay, you want to try to run the football? Let's do that. And then let's see if your guy, J.J. McCarthy, can beat us over the top. And that's where I think the game is going to be won or lost is what can J.J. McCarthy do yeah. if Blake Quorum or Donovan Edwards aren't there for him? Now, on the other side of that, I also think it's a, a really great challenge for Jim Knowles and his defense because they haven't been as good in pass defense as they would like to be, but they've been yeah. much more stout up front and gives me an opportunity to just go ahead and highlight. Tommy Eichenberg has meant the world to the defensive turnaround of that Buckeye defense. He is the middle linebacker, the guy in the middle, making 105 tackles. He's got an interception, a TD, two and a half sacks. He was snubbed from the Butkus finalist award list earlier today, but you can't overlook what he's done, what Teron Vincent has done, what Mike Hall Jr. has done, and really what that entire front has done. But like, yeah. I'm going to throw this back to you, back in a, well, talking about one of your guys, right, on the Pac-12 coast uh, in Washington and JT2 in Molao. I was looking 
at his stats this year and doing some reading. I come to find out that he set the record this week for most helmet stickers handed out to one player, uh, Buckeyes, when he had 16 for that game he had against Penn State. He had, my goodness, uh, six tackles, three uh, for a loss, two sacks, two interceptions, a forced fumble, a pass breakup, a fumble recovery, and a TD. Do you think that JT Tuimaloal and that Ohio State defense is going to absolutely load the box and try to just say, hey, look, uh, we don't care who you are. We're going to make you throw the football. I thought you were going to ask me if JTT should come transfer to Oregon. I, I, I thought you were going to ask me that, but I guess you not. You had your shot, but um, you had your we shot. Did, hey, hey, Washington wasn't even in the building. It's all that matters. <laughs> they weren't even in the building with their own guy in their own state. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't even talk right now because they beat us two weeks ago. Um, I, I think they're definitely going to you know, bring the pressure on, on Michigan, and that might be the difference in this game, right? So last year, Michigan's pass rush was the difference, right? right. It, they got home a lot. Correct. They're not as good this season on that side of the ball. And Ohio State feels like they have the advantage with their pass rush. Now, Michigan's offensive line is really good again. They're a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award. They're one of the nine best units. They're, they're good again this season. But Can the I challenge real quick yes. and, and ask you, is this that is this offensive line, that caliber of offensive line it was last year, RE winning the Joe Moore Award? Um I think they could be a finalist. Yeah. I mean, this game will go a long way. And this thing about the, you know, the award, of course, you, you kind of tally it all year. Right. And so, you know, when, and I think at least for me, I'm not sure the, I think the other guys, I won't speak for them, but like I carry more weight in my evaluation when you play the better teams. Right. Because I think that's very important. You, you a lot of times in college football, you're a good offensive line. You're playing a bad defensive line, seven out of 11 games. Right. Like, so to me, if they can push around Ohio state and they can block up Ohio state they have a possibility to win that award again. Like that's, a, of course, then they put Iowa next week and that becomes again, two straight weekends of top defenses. Um, and that, you know, that, that helps you win the award. So yeah, they, they're good, man. I'm not sure they're as good as last year, but they can put themselves in that category with a big game and they have, they have to stop Ohio State's pass rush. Um, they, they just have to do it. They have to give time to, uh, to, to let JJ work back there. And if they do that, then, uh, yeah, there, there's a possibility that they can win that award again. It's an interesting point you raise. Uh, on the other side of the Big Ten, we have uh, the Big Ten West has been just really all over the map. It feels like Iowa wins, they'll get in. But there's still some moving and shaking that has to be done. Nebraska's not a pushover in the way that many of us thought they might be. I expect that children of the corn style of game, that that rivalry game between the two corn-producing states to be outstanding. <laughs> um, one more question before we get off of Ohio State. Yeah. Michigan. Is the Heisman Trophy winner going to come out of this game, Jeff? No. Um, the Heisman Trophy winner will come out of the next game we're talking about. Um, you know, C.J. Stroud has, has had a season that's it's been a good season. I think it has not met the expectations that people thought the, the kind of for this season. doesn't mean he's played bad. But I do think, look, if he plays well against Michigan and plays well against Iowa, sure, he can be into it. But the other guy in Los Angeles is a USC quarterback, and um, it's pretty good. It's pretty good guys. Like, and and I think with Caleb Williams is USC for the most part this year has played those late kickoffs, Pac-12 network games. They they get UCLA in primetime. They're getting Notre Dame in primetime. They're getting a Pac-12 championship game in primetime. And if they don't score 45 points, they don't win any game. So Caleb Williams has to keep scoring and scoring and scoring. And I think Caleb Williams will win this Heisman the next two weeks if he hasn't won it already. Oh, man. Oh. Uh I can't wait to see how that goes out because I'm giving it to C.J. Stroud if they absolutely go to work in this game. 
to the point of perhaps he hasn't met expectations. I'm going, yeah, well, 4,500 yards and close to 40 TDs, that's pretty damn good. He's at 35 and, and four right now. I think between those two dudes, you have two outstanding finalists, and I think it's going to be cool to see who does what in these last couple of weeks because I think you're right that both of those guys are going to get invited to New York, but we'll have to see just what they do, what USC does against Notre Dame Pac-12 championship, and, of course, what Ohio State does against Michigan. To say nothing of if Blake Corn plays in this game, and plays well, that could be the Heisman Trophy winner. Very excited about that. Let's move on to that game that we were alluding to. Number 15, Notre Dame at number six, USC. Notre Dame's kind of squirrely, Jeff. They've been up and down a roller coaster. No matter what happens in this game, they will have beaten the ACC champ. They played Ohio State very close. What do you think happens in this game, Jeff? Oh, man. Um, there's a path to beating USC, but I feel like it's pretty narrow in this, right? Um, you have to run the ball, which they can do, mm. and you have to just kind of play a shell defense, keep everything in front of you, and concede that USC might rush for a lot of yards because you're not giving up explosive pass play. And that's the way teams have played USC close this year, unless you're going to score 45 points, which I don't think the Irish can do in this game. So that, to me, is kind of the, the game plan for it. I feel like it's a very narrow game plan, right? Because if you have a couple possessions on offense that are empty, especially if you take six or seven minutes, end up with three points or a punt, um, it's not going to get it done against USC. Um, and so I think that's – that. to me, that's the issue. Look, USC has not played a defense like Notre Dame's. I think since they played Washington State is 12th in defense efficiency. They scored 30 points in that game, and the Beavers are 20th. And they scored 17 points. So they haven't played a defense like Notre Dame uh, in, in five or six weeks. Um, so I guess in theory, Notre Dame can slow them down. But my, my concern with the Irish, too, is like in the secondary, do you have the speed? Do you have the speed to keep up with Jordan Addison, with with with, with Mario Williams? I don't, I don't think so. So I lean USC here. Um, again, there's a path. And, and look, you can make the case that – USC can have a Tennessee game minus the Hayden hooker, which is terrible. Obviously we're like everything, every, all this house of cards, right? This, this bad defense forcing turnovers just doesn't happen. And you allow nine touchdowns. Like it's possible, right? I'm not, it, it, it's possible. It totally is. I mean, Tennessee was, was built that way. And then all of a sudden it kind of just, it fell down, right? You didn't play as good an offense. And all of a sudden, you allow nine touchdowns. Spencer Rattler, I think, at his best, is better than 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 Drew Pine. So that's not very, maybe a fair comparison, but like that can happen. I would not bet on it happening. I don't need Drew Pine to be as good as Spencer Rattler, or even Caleb Williams for that matter. I need Drew Pine to not throw the ball to the other team, put the ball on fair. the floor, exist uh, between that half a second between the snap and handing the ball to guys like Logan Diggs to let them go to work. To the point about the the defense, particularly the secondary, I'm intrigued by that. I am because being a Lincoln-Riley, shall we say, historian, I know that the teams that frustrate his offenses are the ones that do drop eight and can tackle in space. If you can, if you can put eight people in front of that offense and say, we're just going to rush three, every now and again we're going to send a fourth, and you tackle people in front of you, you can frustrate them into Absolutely. being the kind of team that has to run the football more than they want to. It has never been Lincoln Riley's prerogative 
to run the ball more than he throws it. He's going to want to try to give Caleb Williams an opportunity to hit guys like Jordan Addison down the yes. line. But to the other side of this, I think it is interesting to say whether or not Notre Dame's defense travels because historically that's what we say, right? We say defense travels. And to your point about USC, they're going to give up a bunch of touchdowns. They're going to give up a bunch of yardage, uh, but they're going to get their takeaways, right? They're going to get their tackles for loss. And can you do that against what I still think is a pretty good Notre Dame offensive line? And that's mostly where I wanted to go with this next question for you. Do you who do you give the edge to on the offensive line? Is it Notre Dame or is it USC? Um, they're just two different types of offensive lines, right? Mm. Um, you know, Notre Dame is tr traditional kind of running the ball offensive line. They're not put in as many situations to pass protect. Um, they're not, they're not often running on light. I mean, there are times USC runs the ball with five guys in the box because they're like, teams are saying, Hey, you're just not going to beat us through the air. It's what Oregon state did, right? Oregon state was like, you're just not going to beat us through the air. We're not gonna let you do that. And they, and they frustrated Lincoln Riley and, start throwing the ball too much and they end up with 17 points. So um, th that's kind of different to the offensive lines. Um, I, I do worry about Notre Dame blocking Thule, Thule Lopo. He was uh, seven, 11 and a half sacks. He leads the country in sacks. Yeah. Like this thing too. You, you, you have a player who leads the country in sacks and you allow points like at an alarming rate it does not make sense i do not get it man it 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 just i mean like cal scored 37 points against usc but a 469 yards yeah i don't it it does not like it breaks my brain thinking about how usc continues to do this and i think usc wins by two touchdowns like i i don't think like it's it, it doesn't it has not mattered maybe it matters against oregon maybe it matters against georgia but it has not mattered to their success this season I think you're on to something there. I also just want to take a, a larger point and ask or make a larger question and ask, can USC afford a loss to Notre Dame or even the Pac-12 championship? No, no chance. Okay. I mean, I mean, you heard from the committee today. They're already questioning their resume. You take an L to, to Notre Dame, you got two losses now. Uh, that opens the door for Clemson, obviously, to come back in there. Um, I mean, more than anyone else, right? If Clemson wins out uh, as a one-loss team, and it even opens the door, I think, to uh, a Michigan uh, or Ohio State loser, uh, close close loss in, the, in this game this weekend as a playoff team as well. I don't think that uh, Clemson is going to get in off of a Notre Dame win here. I think it helps in Ohio State if they lose against Michigan. But it's just – it's a really difficult place to slot Notre Dame. And to slot them at 15, quite honestly, I think doesn't help anybody that is rooting for a USC win here. And I just think that you need USC to take care of business against Notre Dame, unless you're Ohio State, and then in which case that only helps you, right? Win or lose, yeah. you got that win against them. Uh, the last game on the schedule for you and I, number nine, Oregon, at number 21, Oregon State. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Can your Ducks afford a loss against an Oregon State team that is playing its best football in a decade? Uh, no, I mean, we, we have to win to make the Pac-12 championship game, essentially. I mean, there's ways we can still get in otherwise. Um, 
The Beavers always scare me, man. Like they they are just um a well-coached football team. And their their addition this year is that they play really good defense. Mm. Um I don't think people realize that they're really good against the pass. Again, they limited USC to 17 points. Washington State only scored 10 points. Um, Washington only scored 24 points on them, I believe. And um, they just they don't allow points. Um they have trouble stopping the run. I think Oregon will attack them via the run. Um, but what gives me a little bit of comfort is their offense is like Utah light and Oregon can play that, you know, that offense pretty well defensively. That's kind of what we're built. We're not built to stop USC. We're built to stop Oregon state. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Bo Nix is healthy, we should be able to do enough on the ground to win this game. Like it's going to be ugly, uh, 24, 20, like it's not any high scoring. I don't think, um, but we should win this game. Like, again, the matchup is better for us because of Oregon State's offense. They run the ball, play action pass. You know, we we they don't have great wide receivers. We put Christians also one of those guys. That that's end of that. And Bonix being healthy makes our run game just different. We saw last weekend. Again, it was a game plan designed for a backup quarterback, and Bo just said, "I'm I'm fine to go today." So they just had to roll with it. Um, Kind of indictment on our backup quarterback, by the way. Um, but uh, so I think this week they'll have more of a game plan geared toward Bo not being able to move very much or moving a little bit. They didn't have that on Saturday and they still got it out of win. So um, I'm just impressed with, with Coach Landing, man. You know, you lose to Georgia in, in the way you lost. You win eight games in a row. You lose to Washington in kind of a horrific fashion. Come back and play a ranked Utah team. And Cam Rising plays his worst game of his career. You force three turnovers. You have a quarterback that can't move. You offensive line shuffling. And your defense allows seven points after giving up 37 to Washington. So um, coaching staff is good, man. And um, I'm nervous about this game, but I think we should win. I'm very excited to see how this game plays out because, yeah, the strength uh, for Oregon has to be Bo Nix and his ability to move. Now, toward the end of that game against Utah, he also tried to throw the ball away and, and or throw the game away. And so did Cam Rising, who just gave it right back. But going into this game, it's very clear to me that Oregon State doesn't need a quarterback to win. And that should terrify you if you're a Ducks fan because they've had seven different th- dudes throw passes and they still got a package for Jack Collette that goes both ways. Now, a lot of that is predicated on Damian Martinez and his ability to run the ball. And I would love to see what he can do against this Tosh LePoy front because that's going to tell us a lot right off the jump. But I'm with you. They're going to grind you out. It's going to be low scoring because they're going to hold the ball. And yeah. if you go three and out for them, don't expect to get it back very quickly because that's just not their game also shout to jonathan smith and oregon state in the way that they have built this program because oregon state did something that a lot of people claim they're going to do which is hire the right guy and then give him time wait yeah yeah and frankly our patience runs thin more often than not but at oregon state they trusted jonathan smith and they're right back in the thick of things and they're looking for their first 10 win season since 2006 and uh i gotta ask you this i'm trying to figure this out, is it still the Civil War? What are we calling this this rivalry between you and the Beavers? Uh, it's the game formerly known as the Civil War. That's how I refer to it okay. until um, told otherwise. I, I, I want to give a slight pushback on the no quarterback. You know, they can win without a quarterback. Sure. Not against not against good teams though. Lost to USC, scored fourteen points. Lost to Utah, scored sixteen points. Also spotted Utah multiple points that game by turnovers, and lost at Washington by scoring twenty one points. Like they, that's the problem. The problem with Oregon State is that if they had a quarterback, RJ, they might win the conference this season. Like they they don't have that guy against good opponents that can make the plays that make the difference. 
in the when the offense is functioning, when you're when you're running the ball well, you're plashing pass. Like, but we've seen again USC, Utah, and Washington, the three best teams they played this season, low offensive output. So if they have that quarterback, which they don't have right now, no one's not going to play. Then I feel much differently if they had someone else in there. That's my concern about them. Number one is if you're an Oregon State fan, is like, yeah, like we we stopped the run well at Oregon. Can you pass the ball on us, which is giving us a lot of trouble? UCLA, Washington, uh, you know, can you pass the ball? I'm not sure Oregon State can do that. But game game formally known as the Civil War is what I go with. Then I will go with that too. Uh, I think that's also a good place to take us home, uh, Jeff. The next time you and I talk. We'll be talking about conference championships. Oh, yeah. Perhaps who, if anybody, that we know for certain is getting into college football playoff. All right. That is going to do it for this week's episode of College Football on Fox Twitter Spaces. My thanks to, as always, to Jeff Schwartz. Thanks, buddy. Glad to be here, man. I'm excited excited for the weekend. Hey, man, I can't wait for Thanksgiving. I'm going to pig out. I'm going to pig out in L.A. That's going to be a lot of fun. Our thanks to uh, my thanks to our Fox crew and the fine folks at Wendy's. We will see y'all next Tuesday to preview the conference championship games. Uh, deuces.